by doing things the way that we've always done them, we're continuing to perpetuate these deficit narratives. And we are continuing to hold students back and not realize their full potential. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of World Stride's inaugural podcast, Changing Lives Through Education Abroad, a weekly series of conversations with international education's most interesting thought leaders, as well as discussions on emerging trends, best practices, and innovation happening in our field. I'm your host, Zach McInnes, Senior Director of Campus Partnerships with World Strides, and I'm so excited about this week's episode. Today, we'll be talking about the way our field thinks about historically marginalized students and how international educators can disrupt the persistent deficit narratives often used to help explain why study abroad participants are statistically more likely to be white female, and upper class compared to the U.S. undergraduate population at large. The term deficit narrative refers to a way of framing people, community, or situations in terms of their deficiencies, problems, or shortcomings, rather than their strengths, abilities, and potential. In the context of education abroad, deficit narratives might focus on a student's perceived limitations, like a lack of financial resources, previous travel experience, or family support without considering the systemic issues that contribute to these outcomes or a student's individual strengths and capabilities. This approach can perpetuate stereotypes, reinforce stigmas, and hinder effective solutions. Shifting away from a deficit narrative involves focusing on students' assets, strengths, and their potential instead. It allows for a more nuanced understanding of the issues at hand and can lead to a more equitable and effective solutions that gets us closer to the dream that I know all international educators share, study abroad for all. I am beyond excited to welcome my friend, an international education powerhouse, onto the podcast to help us navigate this topic, Dr. Malika Serrano. Oh, wow. Hey, Zach. Uh, Hi, Malika. A A fixture in international education circles for over two decades, Malika is currently the vice president for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging at Guild Education. She has held leadership positions at the University of Maryland, the University of Tennessee, the Council of American Overseas Research Centers, NAFSA, and more. Seriously though, Malika has done it all. I first got to know Malika though, when she was head of diversity, equity, and inclusion here at WorldStrides, where her impact continues to be felt to this day. Here at WorldStrides Higher Ed, Malika will always be considered part of the family. I've learned so much from Malika over the years, and I very much admire her commitment to advancing justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion in international higher education. And I can't wait to pick her brain today. Stay tuned for this conversation. You do not want to miss this episode. Welcome, Malika. Thank you for being here. Zach, that is like hands down the the warmest, kindest introduction I think I have ever received. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you. I will take it. Of course. I'm so excited (laughs) that you're here. To begin, I'd love for you to introduce yourself, give us a brief overview of your professional journey up to this point, and share your motivations for working at the intersection of international education and justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Well, I won't bore your listeners with my, my, my resume. As folks have heard, I have <clears throat> 20 plus years uh, of experience in this space. But friends, my name is Malaika Maribel Serrano. Uh, pronouns are she, her. 
I have the joy of living in sunny Atlanta, Georgia with my two awesome kiddos, Joaquin and Maya. And I introduced myself naming some of my identities because that has a tremendous impact on who I am and how I show up in my value alignment. So I've been working in the field for over 20 years, and I would say that diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and justice have been a through line throughout my entire career. Honestly, starting with when I lived abroad in Venezuela. When I lived in Venezuela, I had just finished graduate school at the University of Maryland College Park, and for the first time became aware of certain identities and privileges that I had. For example, the blue passport privilege, first language privilege, etc., as well as identities that were marginalized. So for example, I identify as a woman and being in that space, it became much more heightened as well as my uh, national identity. I was oftentimes mistaken for either being Latina or being Caribeña or from the Caribbean and not from the United States. So all of this identity swirling, privilege, and marginalized identities coming crashing together in Caracas really like helped shape who I am and the DEIB leader that I've become. Fantastic, Malika. Thank you so much for sharing that. And you know, it gives me great pleasure to be able to call you Dr. Serrano now, <laughs> because earlier this year, you successfully completed your PhD in higher education internationalization at the Universita Católica de Sacracore in Milan, and defended your dissertation, Study Abroad for All, Moving Beyond Deficit Narratives and Amplifying the Voices of Historically Marginalized Students. Congratulations, Malika. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I have to pinch myself sometimes. I'm like, what? Doc? Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love it if you could share with our listeners more about your research, how you developed the idea for this topic, mm -hmm. and what you hope will be the ways it can be used to drive forward progress in our field. Absolutely. So, you know, you know, I like stories. So, <laughs> so I'm going to start with a short story. Okay. The scene. 1997, Australia, Malaika Marable steps off a plane in Canberra, attending the Australian National University. I look to my left, I look to my right, and you know what? Not a person of color in sight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but the point being, for my study abroad experience, so I identify as being African-American, and during my study abroad experience, both when I was looking at programs, going through orientation, and then when I arrived in country, I felt very isolated because of my identity as being a Black woman. And I so desperately wanted to connect with other folks. But this is like early, early dawn of the internet, no social media. So it was a little more challenging. I, in spite of this, I had an incredible experience. And... It was in Australia that I decided that I wanted to become a study abroad advisor and that I wanted to create opportunities and spaces and encouragement for more folks, students who look like me, to go abroad. So that was, that was the impetus. That was the beginning. Fast forward just a few years later, I was at Maryland, a graduate student, and I spent a summer at the GW Study Abroad office doing an internship. And it was that internship 
which was the catalyst for the study that I did. So in the GW office, I had a chance encounter with a young woman who identified as being African-American. She had applied to study abroad. She was all set to go to Japan. But guess what, Zach? She, unfortunately, had to see the doctor to get a chest x-ray. It was back in the day. And she did not have health insurance. Mm. Additionally, while she was going through the process, the folks in the study abroad office had made assumptions, but had not stopped to check their own policies and practices to ensure that there was equitable opportunity and visibility for all students prior to going abroad with their preparation. So as a result, she was unable to go. However, her story has forever haunted me, and I wanted to do something about it. I wanted to do a deeper dive into the lives of students who had applied to study abroad, but withdrew before taking part, and particularly those students who identified as being from historically marginalized communities. And so the research that I conducted was at Rocky Mountain University in the U.S., And I had the privilege of interviewing 22 students, 15 of whom applied to study abroad and did in fact study abroad, and then seven who applied to study abroad but withdrew before taking part. One of the things I personally love about working in international education, Malika, is that this is a profession where stories, communities, and identities are valued. What are some takeaways from your research that our listeners can reflect on and impart into their daily practices at work? I'll share with you the most impactful finding. And that is a finding that I call converting hardship into economic capital. So I'll I'll unpack that a little bit. Some of the students that I connected with who studied abroad, they started to tell me their stories. And I began to notice a theme. And that theme was, While these students were in middle school or high school, they had been taught how to tell their stories in ways, convincing ways, that enabled them to get funding or enabled them to get access and unlocks into the university, scholarships, etc. They then did essentially kind of a rinse and repeat in the study abroad process, telling their stories to get funding, so on and so forth. Conversely, um, as I'm having conversations with students who, uh, who did not go abroad, who had been accepted to go abroad but withdrew before taking part, there's one young lady, her pseudonym is Christina, identifies as being biracial, Latina, and she told me, she said, Malaika, I didn't want to compromise my mental health. I didn't want to sell my struggles. And so she opted not to do so on the scholarship applications. And that had an impact. Whereas some of the other students that I spoke to, one I can remember, his student name is Mac. He said, my life story is often hard and difficult for people to hear. And I swing that like a battle axe. And so Mac opted to convert his hardship into economic capital, got the scholarship, studied abroad. That's an incredible story. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. 
You know, I'm fascinated by your research topic, and I suspect our audiences as well. I would love for you to break it down for us even further, if you will. If we are successful in moving away from deficit narratives when we think about study abroad, what in an ideal world, Belika, should we be moving towards? First, start with ourselves. Hold up the mirror. I am inviting, challenging everyone who's listening, all international educators, to interrogate the practices, the status quo, how you've always done things. Because how we've always done things, and I'm making an I statement, Malika Serrano included, some of these practices actually are baked in deficit framing. And so by doing things the way that we've always done them, we're continuing to perpetuate these deficit narratives. And we are continuing to hold students back and not realize their full potential. So we have to start with ourselves. In your experience, Malika, why is it important for students from historically marginalized backgrounds? Why is it important for them to participate in high impact practices like study abroad? What are some of the outcomes you've seen over the years? Well, I would, I would actually kindly reframe and I would say it's important for everyone. For everyone. Here, here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, and I, I appreciate the question. And it's, it's important for all of us because if we, you and I know the impact of having a study abroad experience, service learning experience, other forms of uh, experiential education. And what we want to do is we want to widen access and create equitable opportunities for all students, not just a select group of students to have these experiences. I know our field of international education is a small and layered one, and I want to pick your brain even more. If you were to imagine the field of international education in five years, thinking through your lens of amplifying voices, what would that field look like to you? Five years from now, I really want to see the field of international education make a concerted leap in terms of looking at who's actually in the profession. So turning diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, social justice inward and starting at home. So who's in your offices? Who is in leadership? What are those development pipelines look like? Who has access to professional development opportunities? When we look at scholarship, research, it is so mission critical that we have a variety of voices and lived experiences who are contributing to this. Because if not, it's the researcher who gets to decide what to study. And it is their peers who determine what gets published. Mm. So again, Mm. the word that I want to leave us all with is, you know, let's interrogate how we've always done things and have the courage to do something different. It's 2023, and we can't properly have this conversation without acknowledging that we are speaking against the backdrop of challenging times, to say the least, from a DEI perspective in higher education. How can our listeners keep a forward-thinking perspective and find ways to enact positive change from wherever their specific role might be? I think it's really important for folks, for us to, to, to ground ourselves and, you know, what do we mean by equity work? And what we are doing is we are widening access and creating equitable 
opportunities for folks to uh, to be seen, to be heard, to be believed, and also to advance and recognizing that and rewarding that. It's really all about inclusion and creating spaces of belonging for everyone. Because when we do that, when folks truly are able to show up how they are, you know how much energy it takes to cover or to hide. Imagine being able to devote that energy into your work product, into creative outlets. Just think about how much further we will be if we're able to do that. Dr. Serrano, the scope of impact you have had as an educator and knowledge contributor to our field is impressive to say the least. One of the ways you have engaged in leadership in international education is through volunteering with NAFSA. What does that look like for you? What have you learned along the way? And how has it impacted you as a professional? Oof. Well, this is this is very timely, sir. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> very, very, very timely. So, so yes. Yeah, so I'll, I'll I'll start from the beginning and then go to present day. Super, super beginning. Remember the story I shared with you when I was a graduate student at Maryland. So I did an internship at GW, but then I also did an internship at NAFSA. Mm, mm-hmm. Oh yes, and let me tell you, I, I felt like a felt felt very grown hopping on that metro and going to NAFSA every day. But that exposure really like helped set the path as well as an understanding and appreciation of the value of volunteering and a member organization in this space. And so to that end, I started once I uh, became a study abroad advisor at UT Knoxville, I started doing sessions and connecting with people and volunteering in that manner. And then, you know, eventually doing other things like the trainer corps and other leadership um, opportunities. And then most recently, um, this past January, I joined the NAFSA board. Um, I also at the same time joined uh, the Fulbright Canada board as well, which is also uh, a very, very deep um, passion and interest of mine. And in both of those spaces, I'm doing a lot of work in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Currently, as one of my volunteer roles on the board, I'm working with a small task force to update our diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging statement, as well as what are some action steps that international educators can take in accountability. You're serving on two boards at once. Like I said earlier, Malika has done it all. That's very impressive. Is, is there anything that you can share at this point about the work you're doing with NAFSA? So like actively, uh, we're working on updating our statement and that is going to go out distributed really widely to all NAFSANs. So hopefully when our listeners are enjoying this podcast, they can also simultaneously go to the NAFSA website and provide feedback on the diversity, equity, inclusion statement. That's fantastic. So, so stay tuned listeners for that. Thank you, Malika. You. you know, as international educators, we tend to care deeply, don't we? We care about the world, we care about our students, and we care about the trajectories of topics that we as facilitators of intercultural learning lift up. This calling is what brings so many of us to work each day, energized to change the world and make it a more inclusive place. What are some tips or practices that our listeners could build into their daily work? So I'm going to probably sound like a broken record, Zach, but I, I can't help it. You know, this, this work, if you look at inclusive leadership, the work begins with the self. So if you can imagine 
a, a spiral, right? So that inclusive leadership, it starts with the self and understanding and naming your values and being honest and true about them, which of course has an impact on the values and the behaviors that we exhibit. So my advice to folks first and foremost is to unpack your own identities, be aligned around your values and be clear about them. And then that is going to inform your behaviors, which will then enact a more inclusive and equitable space. Thank you for sharing that, Palaika. It's a fantastic advice. You know, I'd, I'd like to welcome you back home to World Strides. As you know, you spent more than four years um, with World Strides, and I want to call out the good work you did during your time with us. You were so instrumental in implementing positive change. Can you talk about your time with World Strides and, and how that has uh, impacted your career? Yes, 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 yes. Love, <laughs> love World Strides. Love my friends who are still at World Strides, friends who've since moved on to other spaces. My goodness, what an incredible, incredible opportunity and journey it was. So shining on Mark Galovic, shining on Jennifer Costa, who were wonderful leaders that I had the great joy and privilege of working under. I started off, Zach, as you know, working in the strategic partnerships space. So loved working with university partners, getting really creative, working very closely, particularly with colleagues who were um, on the East Coast. So Another little shout out there and some shine. Shout out to the East Coast. That's right. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And all the while, I was continuing to do diversity, equity, inclusion work. My teammates, my managers, they were all extremely supportive of that. And so it was because I was doing this kind of work, which included doing session presentations, doing workshops for faculty with working with students, et cetera, on diversifying, you know, the student population of folks going abroad and supporting faculty. That work began to get noticed. And I had an opportunity to do the work full-time. And so the first full-time DEIB leader position that I had was at World Strides. And that is something that I will never forget and will always be grateful for that opportunity. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now I'd like to turn to your current employer, Guild Education. For our listeners who are not yet familiar, I'd love for you to tell us more about Guild. What's a day in the life like for the organization and what ignites the passion that drives forward Guild's mission? Wow, a day in the life. That's, that's going to be kind of tough. I can tell you this, though. For folks who are not familiar with Guild, Guild is an opportunity platform. And we provide tuition-free education for America's workforce. And the way that we do that is by partnering with employers. And we have a platform whereby the student's tuition is paid so that they don't have to come out of pocket to pay for tuition. If you think about the historic tuition reimbursement models where a employee would apply for class, take the class, pay for the class, and then wait to get reimbursed by their employer. That actually is not the most equitable practice because it requires that the employee have that capital up front, have the funding up front to be able to engage in that exercise, that opportunity. So we have completely revolutionized access 
for hundreds of thousands of frontline workers, predominantly frontline workers in the United States. And that feels really, really good. Wow. That's very impressive. Thank you for sharing that, Malika. Yeah. You know, I'd like to dig a bit deeper. Guild was founded in, in 2015 with one simple belief. When opportunity is as evenly distributed as talent, everyone benefits. Individuals rise, companies grow, and the economy thrives. That's very big picture and certainly inspirational. But Malika, I'd like to ask you, what does it mean for you personally? I think it goes back to what you were talking about at the beginning around deficit narratives and, and what does that mean and why do they exist? So we do not live in a meritocracy. The United States is not a meritocracy. And there are folk who have been denied access, be it to education, be it to financial opportunities, employment opportunities, etc., of no fault of their own. What this means to me, but the work that we're doing at Guild is truly equity work. It is acknowledging that we do not live in a meritocracy and we are breaking a system that has historically held certain groups back. As we all know, we live in an interconnected world. I think I saw on LinkedIn that Guild was named one of the best companies for women to advance in, 2023 by parity.org. We love to see that and kudos. As a woman working for Guild in a leadership position, how have you seen the values and practices inherent in this award be reflected in the inner workings of the organization? Over 60% of our workforce identify as women. And we have a very robust employee resource group program. One of our largest, or the largest actually, employee resource group is called Women at Guild, which is nearly 600 members strong. Our second largest employee resource group, which just launched this past May, is called the Caregivers and Ally Network. And it's a very holistic and inclusive way of looking and supporting caregivers. And that is our second largest ERG. So we have workplace enablement support systems that support and empower women and folks who identify as being a woman and allies. And we also have an incredible menu of benefits that also create that kind of inclusive environment where folks can thrive. We've talked a lot about amplifying voices, and I'd be curious to know whose voices you'd like to amplify. For our listeners who would be, who want to learn more about the topic today, what would you recommend? Who should they be following? What should they be reading? What's your advice? In the field of international education, I would highly encourage folks to follow Dr. Lenitra Berger, who's the president of NAFSA, of the of chair of the board. I would invite people to follow Lily, Dr. Lily Lopez McGee, uh, who's the executive director uh, for Diversity Abroad. Speaking of Diversity Abroad, uh, Andrew Gordon is a dear friend. Highly encourage folks, um, you know, to follow him. And you know what? Closer to home, my dear friend, Miss Raina Montgomery, who is the director at Morehouse College, she initiated uh, the hashtag Study Abroad So Black, which blew up. She's extremely creative, caring, ingenious. Highly recommend her. Another thought leader I'd recommend is Dr. Eduardo Contreras, as well as Dr. Taylor Woodman who is at the University of Maryland College Park, a dear friend of mine. 
And gosh, there's so many others that I would recommend. But yes, those are just a few. I would encourage folk to seek out thought leaders who hold dominant, who hold identities that differ from your own. Now, let's dream big as we begin to close out this episode today. As we envision the world that the next generation will both step into as learners and inhabit as leaders, what are some of the evolutions you would like to see for study abroad and the education abroad landscape? I want to see the education abroad landscape continue to evolve in several different dimensions. One is what I've mentioned before, and that is the professionals in the profession. So who's doing the work? Where are folks in leadership? Who's producing the scholarship? I want to see that continue to diversify. I want to, I want to crank that up. With regards to the participant space, I love all of the creative initiatives that have occurred and transpired over the last 10 years or so. And I believe that's going to continue because I really want to meet learners where they are. So perhaps the program of yesteryear might have been the year abroad or the semester abroad, but that's not what's in demand today. And so rather than holding on to antiquated notions of what it should be, just stop and listen and check your ego at the door and create opportunities that meet the moment. What would your advice be for new professionals just entering our field about how they can make an impact and make a difference, regardless of what their identity is? That's right. Every single one of us can make an impact. Every single one of us has a unique lived experience and our identities are like fingerprints. Every single one of us are are unique. And so you have something to share. You have something to contribute. You have a point of view and a perspective. And so I would encourage everyone to give voice to that in whatever way feels good and right to you. Maybe it is actually literally giving voice to it, or perhaps it's written form or some other sort of creative way, but we want to hear from you. Your voice matters and you can make a positive contribution. You know, one conversation that I seem to have over and over again with another friend of the podcast, Sarah Dart, is the work that you have done with helping young professionals combat a feeling of imposter syndrome. I would love for you to talk about that. What what is your advice for, for those of us who might feel that inner saboteur inside of our heads telling us that we don't belong or we're not worthy. What would you say to that? Well, I'm not just going to say I'm going to show and I wish that, that folks at home could see it. But when I hear that from my team, you know what I do? I hold up the trash can. Yes, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I say, put it in here. Put it in here. I see you. I value what you're saying. And I'm going to nudge you to put it in the trash can. You just lifted up my dear friend, Sarah Dart, who I absolutely adore. And one of the things that means the most to me, especially as I continue to uh, mature (laughs) (laughs) in the space, is this. And that is, I remember I shared this advice at an internal training with World Strides. And that is that when you get to the penthouse, don't shut the door and lock it make sure that you send that elevator right back down. Well said. Yeah, thank you for that. And I just have one more question for you today, my friend. As you think about education abroad in 2023, what makes you hopeful? 
What makes me hopeful is that we have students and participants today who have incredible access and information that we never had before. And so what I am excited about is the creativity and the spaces in which folks are going to continue to push through old ways of thinking and boundaries and reshape this field in a way that even we can't imagine. Well, I can't imagine a better place to end things than right there. Dr. Malaika Marable Serrano, thank you so much for being here. This has been such a great conversation. Zach, I love you. You're the best. I love you too. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us for this episode of Changing Lives Through Education Abroad. I'm your host, Zach McInnes, and please make sure to join us next week as we continue to explore topics around international education and exchange. Thank you to my spectacular World Strides colleagues, Lindsay Kelchner and Sarah Kachuba, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Please subscribe to Changing Lives Through Education Abroad on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and share with your friends and colleagues. Let's create life-changing moments together.